All right. Well, it doesn't happen often around Putnam City Baptist Church, but if you got your email uh, yesterday, you were made aware. And of course, in this day and age with social media, there are no secrets in Baptist life. A lot of you probably already heard the incredible news for the Keels family. Uh, Sean and his family, as you know, have been here seven years, and the Lord has opened a door for him. I wanted him just to share a little bit of a testimony of how God worked that out. And a super small world that he's going to pastor the church where I was saved and baptized and Cammie grew up. And some of the other uh, members of our church have been members there before as well. So, Brother Sean, why don't you come and just share a little bit about how God is working in your family's life, and we'll go from there. Thank you, Pastor Bill. First of all, let me say uh, thank you for allowing us to become family in seven and a half years. It didn't take long that we actually felt like we were family when we moved here. And the word that has come to our, our mind a few times in this process is bittersweet. As in, it's sweet in that God is calling us to a new venture, giving us new responsibility and greater influence in the position I'll be in. So we're just incredibly excited about that. Uh, it's bitter in the sense that we love you guys and gals, and that you have become family, and that we'll be leaving. Uh, we won't be but just over an hour down the road and our firstborn and grandbaby will still live like six miles west of here so we'll be back and forth to the city quite a bit and with Oklahoma Baptist connections uh, we're likely to do some ministry together in the future. About 10 months ago uh, we were uh, praying through the potential of actually moving to Texas and taking a church there and we're in the final stages but I learned that Emmanuel Baptist uh, was opening up with no assurance that they would even consider me. Uh, so the Lord put it on our heart after I met with Bill and, and talked a little bit and a couple of others that are fairly close to us that I knew had roots at Emmanuel. And we felt so strongly that God might uh, give us an opportunity to at least be considered there that in the latter stages I actually pulled out of a church uh, in Texas. And as a result, uh, 10 months later, uh, Emmanuel Enid, uh, this past Sunday night, officially called me to be the lead pastor there, and we are incredibly, incredibly excited, uh, grateful for you, uh, for your love, encouragement, and support over the past seven and a half years, and ask you just to continue as the Lord brings this face to your memory uh, to pray for us uh, in our new journey. Some have asked, when are we actually going? What will that look like, knowing that, that we you know, have a ho home and stuff? We actually leased our home here uh, for various reasons. Uh, still had a home in South Carolina for a long time, so we leased one here. That lease runs out at the end of January, so Bonnie and Bailey will be here through the end of January and back and forth a good bit. Uh, but we will officially uh, start moving there about mid-December. Then we will go home for Christmas, home as in South Carolina where the rest of our actual blood family is. And we will arrive back in Oklahoma City on January 4th, late that night, and I'll start work early the morning on January 5th in Enid. Uh, so I'll drive there, and I'll, I'll live there almost full-time and part-time here through January, and they'll live here almost full-time and part-time there through January. And as of the beginning of February, we'll live there. We as in Bre excuse me, Bailey, Bonnie, and me. Uh, but Bailey will still have some connections uh, and be back and forth to Oklahoma City way more than we will. Uh, but you'll see us some. And just ask you to pray for us. And again, can't thank you enough. 
uh, for letting us be family. And now I'll say we'll be just distant relatives <laughs> because we'll still consider you family uh, always. And just thank you, thank you, thank you. Know that God loves you, and so do we. Thanks, bro. So um, what we'll be doing as a church, uh, we have the unique time. We have some time to show our love to the Keels family since we'll have the month of December. We are taking up a love offering over the next few weeks. If you want to designate anything, just put Sean or the Keels family, and we'll be collecting that. And then on December 19th, we will have a Sunday afternoon reception for them. And you'll want to be at it, because here's what we're going to do. We're going to have, uh, in that reception, we're going to, if, if you know much about Sean after all these years, he is a junk food addict, all right? And he had the metabolism to burn all of it. So we're going to have a table of Sean food. It's just going to be the craziest assortment of stuff you've ever seen in your entire life. You'll want to come and just spend an hour living like Sean did and uh, join us in showing some love for them. Uh, it'll be a 4 to 5 o'clock in the afternoon. You can start putting that on your calendar. You'll be hearing more. So, like I said, we don't do that often. We don't have many staff members that take off. And so, uh, we got to learn how to do this well. And I know that you'll help us in showing our love to the Kills family over the next few weeks. So, that's kind of what's going on there. Miss Mary Nichols, you were supposed to hear from her Sunday night, and the night kind of got away from us, so the Lord has ordained it for tonight. If you'd come to the stage tonight, uh, we have a great testimony to share with you that I think will greatly bless and encourage you. Good luck on those stairs. There, and I think you can pick up that microphone right next to the stool, and we'll see if that works for you. Uh, Sean came running in my office about a week or two ago, and he said, you got to hear this story, you got to hear this story, you got to hear this story. And uh, Mary had called in, I guess, or I'm not sure how he found out, and one of the ones that she's been praying for, you're going to hear that story tonight. It's pretty powerful, and I think it'll be inspiration to a lot of people. So we've been in a campaign on who's your one. I'm sure you've had more than one, because I know your evangelistic heart. But tell us about this one. How did this one lady become your one? Tell us a little bit how that was planted in your heart. Put that up to your, right? You got to put it in your mouth. You got to swallow it. Testing. There we go. I, just to say that it is wonderful the way we learn that the Lord has his hand on us and he puts people in our path that you would never expect. Um, I met Betty through my friend Dixie who was an ex-Mormon and uh, Betty and Dixie belonged to a writer's group. Um, and Betty had requested from this writer's group if anyone knew of someone who had an unusual story. And uh, so Dixie gave the writer's group and Betty my contact information. She did contact me and interviewed me for a year for her uh, writer's group. Well, actually it's called the <laughs> um, hold on, <laughs> the memory here is a little 
<laughs> Here's your support group. Yes. Um, it is the oldest, oh, the oldest women's literary club west of the Rockies, and it's called Friends in Council. And so um, that was in 1999. Um, so Betty interviewed me for a year, and she was supposed to make her presentation to the Friends in Council in 2000. I went up to Lawrence, Kansas for the presentation um, and gave her husband, Roy, who uh, was Professor Emeritus of Russian at KU, and Betty and Roy have written a number of books, or have written a number of books on Russia and farming. Now, not to interrupt, but Betty, <laughs> Betty has a history too, right? You never oh, knew yes, this lady, she but had. she's pretty famous, right? Or had, had some fame in her background? Well, uh, I learned that Betty was an actress, and she appeared in the Sarah Plain and Tall series, as well as some other movies. Uh, but I didn't learn about the Russian writing and all of that until after I went to Lawrence. Um, so she interviewed me for a year. Why? Because my unusual story, as she decided was that I was elected homecoming queen at Northwestern Oklahoma State University up at Alpha. And uh, I was the first black woman who was elected at a predominantly white university in the United States. Wow. And so Betty interviewed me for a year. She wrote an article that appeared in the Oklahoma Today magazine, and I forgot to look to, I didn't even look to see when that was published, but it was in 2000. Um, Betty was just a wonderful, wonderful woman. She's 92 now, and I am just so grateful for Idra Hawkins over there. Idra was my prayer buddy. We've been praying for each other's ones. That's awesome. And uh, so uh, one day I called Betty and got Idra on the phone. So they had a really nice conversation. But anyway, contacts, uh, crossing paths, that's, that's what happened. Um, and I was going to say that I, in 2000 when I went up to Lawrence, I had given Roy, who taught me a little bit of Russian, I gave him a copy of uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, because I could feel something. And I have no idea as to the effect that that offering and whoever else may have come into contact with Roy. So I don't know how that turned out he passed away in 2000. So you met this lady all the way back in 2000. You don't see her often. 99. In 99. And we have this campaign, Who's Your One, in 2021. Yes. You've met a lot of people in between these years and decades. Why did God put Betty on your heart, or how did he put her on her heart? How did that come about? Well, Betty and I had 
talked frequently. We exchanged Christmas cards. She had um, her sister-in-law was a painter, and the sister-in-law always made Christmas cards for Betty to give to me, and I would send hand-painted Christmas cards to uh, Betty and her, her family. So that's how we, we kept in contact. Sure. And I call Betty frequently. So we've had some Lord conversations some, okay. through the years, okay. and she's, uh, at, even at 92, very gracious, you know, and I would say something about the Lord, and she would give me one of those theatrical laughs, type <laughs> things, you know. So, a perfectly lovely woman, sure. and I just, when, when we started the campaign, she was one of my ones. Wow, first so, so, you had lots of God conversations. She knows your story. She knows you're a believer. Mm -hmm. What changed all of a sudden this past week? How, how did God orchestrate that moment? And tell us real briefly how that took, <laughs> okay. how that took place. I'm yeah. brief. Uh, <laughs> my, my Sunday school class helped to usher me through that. Uh, about two, three weeks ago, I had awakened one morning, and I'm lying there, and the Lord said, buy a turkey today and so I thought okay so I did I went out I got a turkey that day not knowing what that meant I was washing dishes two weeks ago and um, in my spirit the Lord said call Betty right now so I put the dish down and walked in and not knowing what I would say to her, how the conversation was supposed to go. About four years ago, I took a class called Storying by uh, two missionaries, uh, Paul and Robin Tinley. And one of the things that we did in that class, or probably the main thing, is to learn a passage or a story from the Bible and to just tell people the story. So one of them that I had done was the uh, woman at the well. And um, so the memory was quite rusty. So I, I actually asked Betty, Betty, you know, I know that you are a wonderful actress and would you help me hmm. on this thing that I have been practicing. And so I'm, I'm really rusty, Betty. So if you don't mind, I'll just read, read it to you. And it's supposed to be dramatic. Um, the scriptures from John 4, verse 7 is the one that really the Lord said, okay, this is what you do. This is how you handle it. So I repeated that about the woman, uh, Jesus asking her how you would ask me, a Samaritan and a woman, for a drink. And the, Jesus said to her, um, if you knew the gift of God, then you would ask him 
for a drink. So I talked to Betty after I finished the whole thing. And verse 25 says that... Um, When, when, um, oh, I, I know, I know, the, the Samaritan woman said, I know that when Messiah comes, the Christ, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus said, I, uh, the one you are, who is speaking, I am he. So I said, Betty, he is the gift of God. So we talked about whether or not Betty had sinned or what, and we talked about what the gift of eternal life is as opposed to the reward of death in an eternal hell. Wow. And that was what the Lord gave me. And, and it, was, it was just, I'm kind of going along. And then she said, I want the gift. Woo. Thank you, Lord. Beautiful. So that was it. That was, well, that ain't just it. That's pretty glorious, isn't it? So she wakes up and doing dishes, and God puts one person on her heart. God's always speaking to us if we'll have ears to hear. Amen. And did you notice what she said? I didn't know what I was going to say. You don't have to know. Trust the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to talk. He's going to do it. And he's going to, and you don't have to be as eloquent and as dramatic as she is. Uh, but notice how clever she was. She used a tool with her one that she could relate to, the issue of drama. She said, can I practice on you? You can use that with your story. We've been teaching the whole church how to tell God's story through your story. Do the same thing. Say, man, we're practicing this in our Sunday school class. Can I practice on you? And you go there. Yes, ma'am. What about? <laughs> yeah. Let's don't worry about heaven being populated. We got to know about that turkey. <laughs> it's in the freezer. You ate it Sunday night. No. It's in the freezer. It's in the freezer. Still don't know what's up with that turkey. But uh, isn't that a glorious story? I just thought that was powerful and inspiring, man. God bless you, Miss Mary. Thank you for sharing. How many more ones do you have sitting out there that haven't come to the Lord yet? Okay. All right. Well, we'll pray you get to that one next. That's good. Give it up for Miss Mary Nichols. Well done. Well done. Let me help you down the stairs. All right. Grab your Bibles. Let's start getting to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to jump back in, and we're going to work on our three Ps. In abiding, we're not called just to read the Word. We're called to abide in the Word, abide in Christ and Christ in us. And one of the ways that that happens is that God has given us his living word. And when the word of God is alive in us, remember what the psalmist said, thy word have I hidden in my heart, I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp unto my path. Uh, the word of God is powerful, it's alive, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And so uh, for some people, it's a big old thick boring book. For some people, it's intimidating. For some people, they look at the Bible and say, man, I just don't get it, I can't read the Bible, I don't... Oh, yes, you can. The Bible says we have the Spirit of God living in us, and he guides us into all truth. And so we're going to practice on Wednesday nights together, just digging in the Word. And I want to remind you, we've got the book 
uh, that Ross Hill has written. Some of you have already done that. I see some money in here already. Somebody got one, $10. Uh, a great book to inspire you about getting in the Word and by, uh, actually prayer journaling along with that. It's a 40-day challenge. That's up here if you want to use that tonight. And then also I've given you a couple of uh, resources online to help you in your Bible study. Real basic tools. Uh, first one is Bible stu- Bible stools. BibleStudyTools.com. It is a great resource site. We're going to actually use a couple references from there tonight. I'm going to show you how that can help you. And then also the one in the box is called uh, PreceptAustin.org. PreceptAustin.org. Both of those are great tools where you can find all kinds of resources, commentaries, uh, a concordance to look up the meaning of words, sermons and outlines and all kinds of a wealth of material related to any book of the Bible that you're studying. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Then let me remind you, and we're going to practice these every time we're together, there are three P's. These three P's come out of actually a Bible study called One-on-One with God. And that is a Bible study that we're making available to smaller groups. We're not doing it as a big organized Bible study. We're currently training up some one-on-one leaders, and some of you will be able to take that later on. But I'm going to teach you basically the three basic principles of that Bible study, which the first one, if you look at the uh, graphic on the screen, you see that magnifying glass. Uh, The discipline, don't just read through the Bible and say, I read a chapter today. Or my goal is to read through the Bible in a year. If you can, that's great. But make sure as you're reading through the Bible that you're not just reading the words and moving quickly through Scripture, but you're letting Scripture move into your heart. And that takes time. That takes putting that magnifying glass on each word and each passage and letting the Holy Spirit illuminate the meaning of the love letter God has written to you. So we call that pondering. Pondering on it. it, I give you this analogy. You get to play Sherlock Holmes. Uh, You get to look, and if I was to tell you somebody was murdered on this stage this weekend, uh, you got to solve the mystery. What would you do? You weren't here. You didn't see it. How would you solve the mystery? Well, you'd have to put clues together. You'd have to ponder. You'd have to to come up here on the stage and, and wonder, well... Was it the professor in the library with the mic stand? Was it a piece of the broken glass with professor whoever? You would go and you would look for clues, and that's what we're going to learn to do in Scripture. There's so much there that sometimes we just process through it and we miss it if we don't stop and ponder. Next thing we do after we've pondered on that passage, the second P is then we picture what God has been saying. Uh, It's not a new age concept, it's simply doing what Jesus did in his teachings often, is he would anchor those truths in the form of a picture. And he'd say it's like, and he would use a fig tree, or he might use uh, sheep out in a field, or he might use a field that was white unto harvest, and all those images stayed with the anchored truth that Jesus taught from that principle. So it's ponder, picture, And then after you've done that, you spend all that time within it, instead of moving on to the next verse, dialogue with God. I call it holy dialogue. That's all prayer is. Prayer isn't telling God what you need from him. That's a monologue. And hearing from God, just reading the Bible and letting God speak to you, that also is a monologue. God wants to dialogue. He wants relationship. And that comes as we hear from the Lord, as he speaks to us through his word, and then as we converse about those spiritual things. And when we learn to do that, our prayer life becomes more powerful, it becomes more dynamic, and it becomes bigger than a hospital list or a Christmas list of things that we need from heaven. 
It actually becomes intimate conversation with God. And so uh, those are our three P's and our three principles. So we're going to do that tonight. If you have Ephesians, we left off. We only got four verses in last week. Let's see how many we can get in here in the next 20 minutes. Here we go. Let's go to Ephesians 1, verses 5 through 6. There they are on the screen. What you're going to do, you start first individually. Put your magnifying glass on that passage. Circle key words. Underline phrases. Diagram it out. Almost like you learned to do an English class. Remember when you diagram sentences? Do that with a passage. Put a magnifying. What jumps out at you? What are some unique words that you normally wouldn't see? What do those words mean? What's the context? What's he trying to convey to us? So you'll take the next few minutes. You mark up your verse. And then we'll talk about the next step. So ponder on your own, take two minutes, and I'll tell you what to do next. You need more time or are we pretty good there? You're going to get a chance to do that with the rest of your table. So the next thing we do, first I always want you to do it first. Don't rest on everybody else's input. You've got to dig in yourself, break out your own magnifying glass. So what I want you to do for the next two, two and a half minutes to three minutes is around your table, take turns. Don't share everything you saw in that verse, but take turns saying this is one thing I saw. This is one word that jumped out to me and what's speaking to me from this verse. So take two or three minutes around your table. Share a word or phrase or something that popped out when you were pondering that verse and y'all just talk about it, dialogue around your table.
Has everybody had a chance to say something or you need more time? Who needs more time? Say, we need more time. You all right? Okay. So let me interrupt for a minute. Hopefully there's been some good. I just want to tell you what a beautiful sight it is to look out and see people leaning in to the tables with the Word of God open and feasting on the bread of life. It is a beautiful picture. I wish you could see what what I see. So here's what mine looks like. Uh, I've told you I'm doing this in Microsoft Word. I've made a digital Bible, if you will. Go to the next slide. So those two verses look like this in mine. I'm not saying this is the right way. I'm just saying this is a way. But notice, so go backwards one, and then we're going to come back to this again. Go back to what it used to look like. Okay, you look at that, and that just looks like a bunch of letters and a bunch of words. And you can read through that, and you can gain some things. But diagramming, go to the next slide again, please. Uh, Now, that stuff just starts to pop out at you. It stays there. You get to... As you're pondering, you're recording the clues, different things will stick out. And next time you're through that passage or that Bible's open again to that area, you're going to be reminded of some of those truths that God opened up to you. Now, I do crazy things. I draw arrows. I use different colors. This one happens to be just black ink on these two verses. I think in the next two verses, I've got some red with black. I've got a highlighter where I highlight certain things. I'll draw circles. I'll draw rectangles. I'll just try to break it up so that all those different pieces and clues stand out to me. So some things that stood out to me, he predestined us. Well, that's we've talked about that last time. We've talked about how controversial that subject and understanding of predestination is. But as I'm looking through that, there are some certain things that jump out to me. One, one arrow, he predestined us how? Through Christ. That again to me shows a predestined plan. Not he predestined you and you and not you and not you, but he predestined salvation through Jesus Christ. I can see that very clearly in Scripture. Nobody can argue that. Uh, and that just jumps out at me, and that gives me something to praise God about. As I ponder about that and I picture that, uh, in a moment I'll be praying and I'll be talking to God. God, thank you that you made the way, that you are the way and the truth and the life. See how dialogue comes out of the passage that you're reading? That jumped out at me. He predestined us what? To adoption. To adoption. I'm going to come back to that word in a minute. Uh, I've circled around uh, according to. Now, how did God predestine us? Well, he says according to his good pleasure, his will. It was his will. What was his will? To make a way through Jesus Christ for us to be saved. That's what he predestined. And as a matter of fact, if you did a word study on predestined, you would talk about how it was determined before anything ever happened. Now, some would say, we'll see there, his will was it. He predetermined before you're ever born, you get to go, and you get to go, but you don't get to go. I don't see that. I see that according to his plan, through Jesus Christ, he predestined the way. And that's what I see in Scripture. Um, According, I put out to the side, according to his plan, not according to his special picks. You're special and you're not. You get to go and you don't. I just don't see that in all of Scripture. Um, You go through a couple of other things. I put a note there, the way of salvation was chosen, that was Jesus, the plan was predestined. I make those notes as I'm walking through it. Now, there is a word there, adoption, that I've highlighted. Uh, We looked at predestined last week, so if you go to the next slide, what I did is I went out to BibleStudyTools.com and I looked up the word adoption. That's in the Strong's Concordance, and the only way you can look up the meaning of the original Greek or Hebrew, if you're in the Old Testament, is you have to use the King James Version or the New American Standard. Those are the only two versions of the Bible 
that are linked to the Strong's Concordance. And the value of that is you can click on those words and it will take you to the original word and what that word actually meant. Now, somebody tell me what that says. I'm going to tell you what it says. All right. So that word adoption, I think I, I can't say it off mine either. Uh, if you read the, I thought I had it big enough on there, that if you read through it, at the bottom it will talk about just as Israel was brought into relationship with God, it's the same term of how God takes us when we weren't a part of his family and adopts us in and allows us to become the children of God. And so you would see more meaning to that word adoption. So I would encourage you from time to time, when you see these big old words or unique words in Scripture, don't just assume you know what that word means. Go over to BibleStudyTools.com, click on that word, let it jump up, and read what that word actually means. There's a lot more meaning that comes as you dig through it, all right? So let's go on to our next two verses. If you go to the next slide, now we're going to be verses 7 through 8. So what are you going to do? Break out. It's time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not true. We only did two things. We only did two Ps. We pondered it. Now we need to picture. So back up. Forgive me. Back up to the passage we were just in. Back up one more. There we go. What in there jumped out to you? What can you turn into a picture? Now remember, there are three ways to picture a truth. One is, does it translate into a visual picture that you might see on a painted canvas? Or number two, is it Jesus sitting at a table with you and speaking that truth into your life? That's another picture you could have. Or the third picture is, maybe there's three points within something, and it's just a bullet list, and it's application. That would be your picture. So as I'm looking at this, the things that jumped out is God's predetermined plan through Christ for me to be a child of God and make that possible. Uh, one picture, this is crazy, I know, I don't think like you do, but uh, love little Annie, love that with my kids. And I think about little orphan Annie, and I think about all those musicals, and, and I remember uh, Daddy, Big Bucks, Bang Bucks, what was his name? What? Warbucks, Warbucks, uh, walking into that and adopting her into his family, and all the riches that became hers because she was chosen. Well, I'm going to spend some time praying, saying, God, thank you that you adopted me. And Lord, I didn't deserve that. Lord, I'm not worthy of that. But God, I'm so thankful that before this world was even put into existence, you predetermined a way for us to be saved from our sin. And God, thank you for revealing that to me. And thank you that I am a child of God. I'm no longer a sinner, but I'm a saint, like I saw in verse 1, right, last week. And I'm able to dialogue with God about those truths out of the picture. Do you see how the picture from the ponder turns into a prayer? Make sense? You with me? All right, let's go to the next two verses. Jump over to 7 and 8. There are your verses. You do it first by yourself. Don't share with your neighbor yet. You've got three minutes to dig through that with your magnifying glass. Draw it up your way. Circle, mark it up. Make your points, and then we'll talk about it around the tables next.
All right. You may still be digging a little bit, but you're going to get to share together. We're going to take about five minutes around your table or with your group. You guys talk about one or two things that jumped out to you in that passage, what you marked up, what you underlined, what's speaking to your heart. Share that around your table, five minutes.
All right, I'm going to interrupt. You probably have a lot more to talk about, but uh, let's review a little bit together. You've had some great things to share around your table. Uh, if you go to the next slide, here's how I kind of diagrammed it in mine. Uh, again, it sticks out to me that it's in Him we have redemption. Not in my works, not in my church membership, not in anything. There's only one way that I can be redeemed from my sin, and that is through Christ. We have the blessing of redemption. Now, what is redemption? We'll talk about that in a minute. Then I have an arrow where I draw some conclusions. Uh, redemption only happens through his blood. Uh, that's important that we understand the power of his blood and why he had to shed his blood and why is it only through his blood because the wages of sin is death. It could have either been mine or it became his. He was substitutionary death for me. Um, and out of that, what is redemption? What's the forgiveness of our wrongdoings? So I put a note out to the side, my sin debt has been forgiven. I need to remind myself of that because the enemy wants me to doubt that. He wants me to question that. And it's a scripture that gives me the anchor for my soul and what, what gives me that truth. And all of that was according to his grace. But it wasn't just an ordinary grace. And I heard several of you talking about that word lavished, all right? So what I did when I was looking at that, those things were circled. I went out to BibleStudyTools.com and that big word redemption. Um, I went and looked at that. If you go to the next slide, you won't be able to read it, but it'll look like this. You'll see the original word. You can actually see that one a little bit better. Down at the bottom, there's a definition. It says, a releasing affected by payment of ransom. So what starts to come, what picture starts to come to mind there? Uh, a ransom being paid. Somebody who was locked up and couldn't get out of jail, and somebody came and bonded them out, right? Paid the payment, and because that was paid, they were able to go free. Uh, maybe it's the Monopoly board, and getting out of jail whenever they were always landing on you or you were landing on the wrong spot, just like sin is. Sin takes us to the wrong spot. Uh, it means a deliverance, a releasing. I need to see that and know that I've been released from the bondage of my sin. I've been released from the penalty of that sin. Why do I let the enemy keep putting me in bondage to that stuff? Why do I keep being trapped by those things and under a spirit of guilt and condemnation? Well, because the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. He doesn't want us to understand what it means. What if somebody came and you had a $2 million debt to society, you couldn't pay it, but the person sitting at your table who happens to be significantly wealthy loves you so much, they came and they paid that $2 million debt, and they came to you and said, hey, your debt has been paid. So what? What do you mean, so what? Your debt's been paid, you can go for it. Nah. I think I'll just stay right. Who in their right mind would stay in that prison cell? And yet we do that all the time. The enemy keeps us bound up with our past and with our sin and with the lies of the enemy. Well, the scripture starts coming alive to me. I went and looked at another word. If you go to the next slide. Here it comes. Back in the back. We got another slide there. There we go. Lavished. Lavished. I can draw some pretty simple conclusions, but when you dig into that more, it's a little harder to read that one. Let me read it off my notes just so you can hear the power of the definition. Lavished in this Greek sense means to exceed a fixed number or measure. It's a picture of abundance. So what was the fixed measure of our sin? The wages of sin, what was the fixed measure? Death. 
the Lord lavished, instead of death on us, above and beyond that measure. He went above and beyond the call. He paid off that. He redeemed us. He made the payment. And he gave us not just a little sprinkling of grace, but this above and beyond what's not even able to be defined or measured. That is lavished. A thing which comes in abundance. It overflows unto one or something else. Um, I think that's pretty much to excel beyond expectations. There's a lot of meaning there. And so as I read the meaning of those words, the word becomes a better picture for me. I I think about um, some kind of abundant, uh, maybe when somebody uh, just doused me with a big old bucket of water and I get a picture of that, or it could be uh, whatever. I think about the Monopoly game, or I think about debtor's prison, and when I get that picture, I've pondered out those nuggets and those truths, and in Christ, my sins are forgiven. They're washed away, and lavishly, not just some of my sin, above and beyond the measure, all of my sin has been removed, and in that, I can have a holy dialogue with God, and so what I want you to do is right around your table right now, you don't have to pray out loud, but I want you to have your own, highly, uh, your own holy dialogue between you and your God about these nuggets of truth. What you have pondered tonight, you pray about that. Just take a moment, and then we're going to take a chair, and we're going to do chair warrior before we leave. But take a couple moments and just pray to God and say, God, and let that picture from what you've pondered become your holy dialogue. Lord, we thank you for your love letter. That you cared so much for us that before this world, you loved us through Christ and through making a way. And Lord, you loved us by sending us your love letter so we could know the way and we could know your will and your ways and your heart for us. God, may we not neglect the calling on our lives and the letter that you placed before us. May it be living water and fresh bread each and every day. May we seek first your kingdom and everything else we know will take care of itself. Thank you for being a heavenly father that meets every need we have according to your riches and glory. Thank you that you met that need of redemption by paying the price that we couldn't pay. And that in Christ, my sins are forgiven. I'm so grateful, Lord, that I'm not trapped in my sins and trapped in the past. But God, I've been set free. May I walk in that freedom and shine that glory before others who need that same deliverance. And may like Mary Nichols with her one, may I be able to share that with somebody this week. We give you all praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Is it starting to make a little sense to you, the three P's and how it works? We're going to keep practicing. That's the fourth P, practice, practice, practice. So uh, on the way out, find a chair. Just some chair is going to jump out at you. It'll either trip you up or you'll see one and just put a hand on it. 
pray over it for coming up Sunday and what God wants to do because it's happening. Great things are happening at Putnam City Baptist Church. Amen. You are dismissed to go pray for a chair. Bless somebody on the way out, and we'll see you Sunday morning.